learning that confidence is key. And then knowing that when you're trying something new, you're going to be afraid. You don't have to stop because you're afraid. Oh my gosh, you guys, today's episode is phenomenal. I interviewed Dr. Michelle Scoggins, and she is a licensed clinical psychologist who is a business mentor, author, and speaker. She has over 12 years of experience as a therapist, five years as a business owner, and more than 15 years overall in mental health. She's created a multi-six-figure business from scratch, which has fueled her love to help entrepreneurs through struggles in business. The definition of tough being a veteran in the United States Air Force, Dr. Scoggins has never accepted the answer, no, or I can't. At the young age of 21, she answered the call of duty and headed to the Middle East. And like so many veterans, had to push past fear and do it anyway. Through her life journey, she has found her true love and calling, which is speaking courage into her audience by helping them see how they can push beyond their own fear and create unimaginable success. Dr. Scoggins knows the power of confidence in concert with nervous system regulation, as she is an expert on human development and psychology. For years, she's helped her own clients in a very human manner, emerge through fear, and live as the person they've always wanted to be. In addition to her clinical work, coaching business and speaking, Dr. Scoggins has co-authored two international best-selling books, expressing her life journey as a trauma survivor and her success in business. She also has a short ebook teaching simple tips on how to go from nine to five to entrepreneur. And on the horizon is an upcoming book that is scheduled to be released in June of 2023, detailing her expert opinion and real life experience as the family black sheep and how she turned this into her legacy and success. Dr. Scoggins is a wife and mother of five children and five grandchildren. She enjoys relaxing mornings with her husband and a cup of coffee. Most days she finds comfort meditating, praying, journaling, and going to the gym before the workday starts. And she has coined what she calls diva days, where she takes one day during the week that is work and stress-free and enjoys the day however she sees fit. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ambitious Chick Podcast. My name is Tamara Wamsley, marketing strategist, life coach, and mom of three. I'm here to help busy, ambitious moms to stop settling for life in a cubicle. You can build your business on your lunch hour. I believe that your soul was sent here on a mission to do work that only you can do. It's time to stop suffering in silence and go after the freedom and fulfillment your soul is begging for. Each week, I'll be bringing you soul-focused conversations, inspiring you to be brave, bold, and go after your biggest dream. You will discover new strategies to help connect the dots to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Are you ready to find clarity, get unstuck, overcome resistance, and finally manifest your dream life? Put the kids to bed, grab a glass of wine, and get ready to trade the cubicle for your calling. Let's go. All right. So welcome to the Ambitious Chick Podcast, Doctor. Is it Scoggins or Scoggins? Scoggins. Scoggins. Thank you so much for being here today. Would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Hey, guys, I'm Dr. Michelle Scoggins. I'm a licensed psychologist, 
I've been in the field for many moons now, it feels like, um, and I'm bringing myself from behind the chair into a new capacity and going out speaking and getting on podcasts so that I can bring my knowledge out to society as a whole, because I feel like what I've learned over my time in therapy is widely um, beneficial to everyone that listens to this podcast and everywhere I go. Fantastic. So backing up, what did you want to do when you were a child? You know, I don't actually remember early childhood so much because of there's a lot of trauma there for me. And so I don't remember that whole first grade classroom of like, what do you want to do when you grow up? with my teacher. Uh, but I do remember as early as maybe eighth or ninth grade, I wanted to be a psychologist because I wanted to work in prison with people who couldn't follow the rules. And I think I look back now, um, I was trying to really understand myself because I was always told that I didn't follow the rules, even when I tried to follow the rules. And when my teacher said that I did, but family said that I didn't. So I really think I was trying to understand like human behavior and myself, but I was really drawn to work in prisons. Interesting. Have you done any work in the prisons? Actually, I have. I've worked in two maximum security female prisons here in California and I've looked and they're really the only max security prisons in the United States for women. And I first worked in prison as a substance abuse counselor. And so I was working with women who were two years to the gate, as we would call it, and helped them to reintegrate into society as they left prison in our program. That drove me to go back to school and become a psychologist because I did not follow my dream as that young eighth grader. I wound up going off to the military and starting a whole different lifestyle, but I did come back to it through this um, experience that I had, but I went back to school to get my psychology degree, married with five children at oh 31. And so the second time I came back into prison, I did work as a psychologist. And both times that I worked in prison, they were for about like three and a half years. And I think that was all my poor little brain could handle at the time is just these small spurts of being in prison because it is a very demanding environment. It's a very challenging environment. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what the energy must be like in there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So did you struggle when you were in the military or did you find that fulfilling as well? You know, my experience in the military, if I took it in totality, was very fulfilling. I loved it. I did get out of the military after doing a four-year enlistment because I had had my first child and in the military enlisted women don't get any sort of um, luxuries. You are treated the same as a male recruit. And I had to sign custody paperwork for my daughter in case I got deployed somewhere where I would have to essentially ship my newborn to a family member so that I can fulfill my duties with the military. So I decided to get out. 
but overall, I, I still went in with that whole idea that I'm doing everything wrong. And um, I did learn to fall in line. I did learn to um, really kind of operate as a team. And, and for me, overall, that experience was pretty great. That's fantastic. Okay. All right. So in so in the coaching that I do with women, I, I really I want to kind of dig into it because I feel like you could really help some of my clients. In the coaching that I do with women, uh, the overwhelming majority seem to tend to like stay in these jobs that they hate. I feel like a lot of them probably would have stuck it out in the military because that's what they knew. And so I guess my question is twofold. One, what gave you the guts to get out? Was it just, was it just the situation with your child? And two, why do you feel like women do that to ourselves? Definitely. I think the, the guts that it took me to get out was literally, um, I had to be responsible for my child and her father also was active duty. And therefore, um, the base we were stationed at, we were on a rotation of deployments and I had just come back from the middle East and he would have been on his way to the middle East. So we knew that there would be a constant rotation of us as parents. And so we both decided that we would leave the military honestly, because the training that they gave us was so phenomenal. We were in communications and and in the nineties, they were teaching us network administration, which now today we know is, is a fulsome career and he still does that career. Um, so we decided that we would get out and make essentially more money outside of the military because we don't realize, you know, the general public doesn't realize what you don't make in the military because our income in the military is very minimal, uh, so much so that I was able to qualify for food stamps uh, once I had my daughter. So we were at the poverty level, though required to do so much for ourselves, our country, you know, everyone around us. Um, so that, I mean, it really was the driving force for me to get out is that there was so much more on the outside that I could create and not be so demanding upon me. But to your question, I think that women and men in general, um, we stay in positions longer than we should. And if we speak on women only, women tend to fall down where men tend to fall up in terms of promotions. Women tend to not apply for promotions unless they can check all the boxes that they qualify, where men will just say, if I qualify for one or two, I'll check the box and, and take my risks because they tend to, as a whole, fall up where women, we really have to um, meet and exceed the qualifications in order to get a promotion. And that's part of it. But then generally as society, I think we've been trained all the way from preschool, kindergarten to work for the system. So the system as a four and five-year-old was school. We went to school, bell rings, you go to class, bell rings, you go home, you know, you have a lunch break and play time and everything is kind of laid out for you. And that pretty much creates a rut for us to walk right into 
the work world that society has had plenty of time to brainwash us to believe that we need a 401k and we need retirement and God forbid you have kids. Now you need insurance for the entire family and you need all of these things that they don't actually tell you you could do for yourself. We believe that we need to rely on the government and the system to do this, but it's because we've been made to believe that's the only way we can do it. And especially for women, we haven't been seen until recently, and especially during the pandemic, that we could, one, lead, two, be entrepreneurs, three, not rely on a man for financial support. And this also goes back into society in the 70s. Women couldn't get a credit card in their name. They couldn't work outside of the home without their husband's approval. There were so many things that society has taught women that we are not supposed to be the ones that can go out there. And once you get that nine to five, we should feel um, blessed that we have it and never to walk away from it. Right. Yeah. It blows my mind that that was the situation. And, you know, it was only 50 years ago, you know, for a lot of people today, the 70s sounds like a long time ago, but um, yeah, in just 50 years, so much has changed. So it's fantastic that we're seeing so many women who are entrepreneurs. Absolutely. 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 And the entrepreneur woman who also stays home and raises her family, you know, we've only been taught to look at homemakers or at home moms in a negative way that she doesn't bring anything to the family or she doesn't provide anything besides, you know, babysitting and meals. But now we're seeing that women really can run a full on business and take care of the kids and do all of the things that were literally have always ran circles around men. We're just now kind of getting the notoriety that we can do that. Right. And I was a stay at home mom for a little while, and it certainly is not babysitting and providing meals. (laughs) No, (laughs) I stayed home. Definitely not reality. Yes. I stayed home for two years um, after having my first child and I could not run back to work fast enough because (laughs) it is so much work and it is, there's no reward in it other than you're, you're raising a healthy person. Right. Absolutely. Yes. But I realized that I would not be healthy myself if I stayed. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I feel like you know, I'm sure men struggle with this too, but I feel like so many women struggle with that, like the not enoughness with the confidence, with the self-limiting beliefs, like where does that come from? You know, I'm going to be a society blamer today because (laughs) a lot of this is also taught to us. What magazine do you know that will put a man on the front cover just to tear him apart? Yeah, But we will, as women, get that spot uh, in the spotlight and then everyone tear us apart that she's not pretty enough. Her hair isn't perfect enough. Her boobs are too big. Her boobs are too small. You know, we, we, and we have learned, yeah, we've learned to do that even within ourselves of judging other women and then also judging ourselves based upon other women. There is this sense of perfectionism 
for women to try to achieve physically, emotionally, spiritually, when men can walk out looking like a train wreck with a dad bod <laughs> and no one says anything, like no one bats an eyelash if we get this ugly man in Hollywood. Right. That is so true. Right. So what do you think we can do to help fix it? I think as women, we all have to identify that's what's been taught to us. Once we identify that's what's been taught to us, then we can do better. We can learn to be uplifting to other women. We can learn to compliment other women without the hopes of, you know, reciprocation. Oftentimes we won't unless we know someone's going to compliment us back and just giving love, giving understanding, going out on a limb ourselves and showing our imperfections. I've even found that with myself is I'll do an Instagram reel or something and um, I'll want to do it in Instagram so I can use a filter. My son is telling me, mom, you just got to record it on your camera. And I go, but there's no filters on my camera. <laughs> right. And so this is what we do to ourselves. Right. That, and we don't realize it. And so for us is to show our imperfections. I love how they're starting to put, um, you know, ads together with women who have stretch marks and women with imperfections women who are, you know, missing limbs. We're just really showing off differences and saying, this is our society as a whole. And it doesn't make you less than because you're missing a limb or you have stretch marks. And right. I don't know a woman that doesn't, and, you know, men have stretch marks all the time from lifting weights or or gaining weight and nothing is exploited about them. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, during college, I worked for Victoria's secret catalog and I got to meet one of the models and I can tell you, she was not the perfection that you see on the pages of the magazine or on TV, like nowhere close. So it's, it's really amazing. It really is. Right. And then imagine the models, they go out and take this photo shoot. And then what shows up on the ad is completely not them because it's filtered out all of their imperfections. So it gives us the notion that imperfections are not acceptable in society. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what can we do? So if, if I'm talking to one of um, my coaching clients and they have, clarified what it is that they want to do, what their soul's mission is. And we have outlined, you know, the strategy, the step-by-step, -step, what they need to do. How can I help them to overcome that issue, the confidence, um, you know, the not enoughness, how can I help them to overcome that so that they can actually achieve their success? They have to practice. We have to practice that we're enough. We have to practice not getting external validation from people. We have to practice loving ourselves, which may mean you're saying no to 
um, someone asking you to do something for them or not being available at a certain time because it it's convenient for someone else, but just learning to put ourselves first. And that does not mean you're being selfish, right? You're actually providing yourself the self-care. And this is really hard for us because as moms, you know, we get the leggings on and this big baggy sweatshirt <laughs> and the hair in the bun and we fly out the door with a cup of coffee and the kids, you know, are dressed to the tee ready for school. And yet we have just put it together so we don't run out the house looking totally a mess. So we've never learned to put ourselves first. It is okay to tell the kids, and I used to have to do this coming home from the prison and my kids were pretty small then. My youngest was about six when I went back to college. Is give mommy 30 minutes after I get home, no questions, you know, hugs and hug and go. <laughs> and let me use the bathroom, take a shower and just kind of get into myself and then we'll talk. And they really learned to honor that for me, which helped so much of not feeling guilty as a mom that I came home so stressed out and would have impatience for them or, you know, not be able to attend to them. This allowed me to regroup and recalibrate so that I was available. And I think we need to learn that as women in general, we cannot pour from an empty cup. We cannot give the resources we don't already have for ourselves. And so readjusting that and tur turning it inward, learning the self-love, what do we like about ourselves versus what do we hate about ourselves? What do we do good versus what do we do bad? Because normally we focus on our weaknesses and we don't bolster our strengths enough. What's the purpose of focusing on a weakness? It's a weakness. Right. Go after your strength. Push those up. Learning that confidence is key. And then knowing that when you're trying something new, you're going to be afraid. You don't have to stop because you're afraid. As long as you have identified that it's safe, there's no danger. Maybe you learn some self-healing practices like meditation or deep breathing, dancing, singing, tapping, things like that, that relax and calm the nervous system. That also is a, a really good benefit of walking into the fear so we have to learn that fear is just part of the process. I was terrified when I quit my job. Um, this last time I went from working as a prison psychologist and opened my own private practice. I worked the private practice for about a year and a half while I was working um, simultaneously in the prison. And then I quit. And I just went all private practice and I was terrified. I was the um, sole provider of the family. And so it had to work. And um, I did have a few established clients, but not enough to sustain my household. I could have, you know, made all of the excuses and I could have stopped. I could have collapsed. I could have ran back to a job. I could have done all of those things. But what I did is just had faith 
had faith that those clients that I had came to me in their own time, more clients are going to come to me. And I just had to continue the faith that what I'd already started, I could continue. Absolutely. What do you think gave you that confidence? You know, I think that just doing, I, at some point we just have to do. And I don't know at that point, did I reflect on my confidence because literally I was flooded with imposter syndrome. I would go to work every single day. And before I would see my first client literally would sit at my desk where my degrees and my license sat above me. And I would read my name. I would read my license number. I would read that it's issued by the state of California. I would read all of that stuff and say, you know what? Someone has faith in me Mm -hmm. because I have a license to do this. So I have to rely on their faith and just do it. Yeah. And I think for some reason we, we get it in our heads that we have to have all the answers and nobody has all the answers. I just, why do we feel that way? I think we're taught this in school. I think for us, especially us in America, we're taught that we have to have all the answers. There is the kid at the top of the class and there's a kid at the bottom of the class. Those are the two kids that get most of the attention for different reasons, right? Yeah. Um, the kids that are in the middle of the stream don't really get a lot of the attention. We all strive to be that kid at the top of the class. And that to us is the kid with all of the answers. Yeah. And so if we were that high achiever, then we were the ones with all of the answers. And I was that kid and I had to learn. I don't have all of the answers. I know how to ask for them. I know how to ask for help. I had to learn that over my career is I cannot, our heads are only so big and we can only hold so much information. We do have to ask, but I do believe that it was ingrained in us through our schooling that in order for us to be somebody we had to know it all. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So what is the what is your favorite part of what you do? Favorite part of what I do is when clients come back and they have that aha moment. They come back and they tell me how they've set boundaries for people in their lives or they come back and they feel confident that they were able to do something they didn't feel like they could have done before. They come back and they realize something so ingrained in them that predicted their everyday behavior. And now they're like, wow, I didn't realize that it was that deep for me and learning to change those habits. So a lot of it is really coming back and learning at any stage of life, they can make changes. I have a client, she's been my long-term client for about close to five years, I think now she's coming up to 70. And so for her, I look up to her because she shows that at any age, you can learn to do something different and you can learn to live happily ever after at any age. And she has learned to set boundaries and she has learned to um, accept nothing less than what she wants to accept and to keep people in her life because she wants them and not because 
she feels shame or guilt if she didn't have them in her life. And so I think that that's the big thing for me is just really seeing someone take their life back and really telling the people in their heads that they no longer exist. And when I see people in their heads, we all have that parental voice and that demeaning voice in our heads that tell us that one of my clients says that she always hears that she's fat, dumb, stupid, and ugly. Wow. And learning to shut that voice down and knowing that the voice you replace it with is coming from self-love, from a place of confidence, from a place of giving and happiness. Yeah. So good. What do you think your why is? My why has always been, I lived, I lived through this. I lived a childhood that was less than perfect, abusive. Um, I was born to teen parents Mm -hmm. who, you know, to their defense, didn't have a good lifestyle either. And they were just doing the best that they could neither one of them have a high school diploma. My dad doesn't read or write. And I kept this kind of hidden for a really long time. But I think that my journey will help so many other people. And I help my clients in the same way as in therapy, we're supposed to be this blank slate, but I let them know, I I understand. I come from this place too. And I get it. I totally get it. But keeping quiet about it helps nobody Yeah, and showing that a therapist could have grown up in a household of chaos and turmoil and abuse and disarray and can come out the other side victorious, have her own successful business and you know, just be a guiding light for so many people. That's the why. Yeah. That's powerful. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's one thing that your business has done for you in your life that you did not expect? Wow. Being able to personally touch so many people. Again, I bring in my personal stories as a way to help my clients. And that's not taught to us in school. It's actually kind of frowned upon. I didn't really think that I would um, go out and be a public figure. Never was really that for me. When I first started, I wanted to work in prisons and psych hospitals and facilities. And I wanted to to continue the systematic work. And I think for me, um, getting out there and just being a marker in society was something I didn't really expect to do at all. Um, And especially even this book that's coming out, hopefully, by June. I shouldn't say hopefully because I'm giving myself a deadline. June 1st <laughs> is the deadline. And it's it's almost halfway there. But that was definitely a soul's work of mine that wasn't something I ever thought would come out. And when I started writing the book, I didn't realize 
how much of myself and my clients would be part of this and not even like stories, but emotions that come out. And um, I think that's very important for us to understand the emotions of people. Yes, and I didn't absolutely. really consider that as a part of my work is helping people to understand it's not about the story. It's about the emotion. Right. Can you tell me more about the book? It's not complete yet, but it is a story about the black sheep and how to find success even when you were taught that you were doing everything wrong. Yeah, I love that. So what do you hope to be remembered for? I hope to be remembered for my difference in psychology. That psychology is just an extension of the human experience. And in order for that to happen, psychologists have to be more fucking human. (laughs) Like, that's what I really want to be remembered as is like, you know what? She was just really different and I can connect with her in a human way. And, and that really isn't for me have been conveyed. I'm, I'm the one that's going to come out with the platinum hair and the tattoos and the F-bombs and really step down with people and and walk with them i think that's the part that i want to be remembered as is just that human experience and it isn't about a diagnosis in mental health that's just a marker honestly i think it should be something we internalize and we do without giving it to the client because it really affects clients when we give them a diagnosis in the way that mental health has been provided up until this point. I think for me is just helping them understand, okay, so yeah, this is what we're working with, but how did we get there and how do we get beyond it? And how, you know, it's like a mole on your body. How do we live with this? Right. And not make it such this monumental big deal. We all have mental health diagnosis, if you ask me, because we all are human beings with a human experience. Why exploit it as being something so stigmatizing? Right. And it probably just becomes that voice in their head. You know, they tell themselves that they're this or they're that. And yeah, it probably does make it bigger. It makes it so much bigger. I mean, especially for my clients who have personality disorders, because personality disorders are created. They're not chemically influenced. And I have a client all the time and she's like, I wonder if it's me or if it's my BPD. And I go, well, what if it's just you? What what if we can just say, okay, I have BPD, but I'm allowed to have emotions allowed to be pissed off. I'm allowed to do these things. And the BPD is just the marker, but it isn't the reason why I express myself in this way or reacted in this way. And so helping them just see like, I could be a person beyond this. Yeah. I love that so much. That's so good. 
Do you have any tips or advice for um, the women who are just, you know, they're, they're just starting out or maybe they are still in that job and they want to get out of it? Absolutely. Find your why. Your why is always going to take you to where you need to go. Your why has to be bigger than your excuses. Yes. If you know your why, you can handle those excuses, but also know what your excuses are and are they real or are the excuses something you've made up in your head and it has helped you get to where you currently are, but to have something different, you have to do something different. Right. And I did a previous episode on the resistance, you know, allowing that fear to just overwhelm you and hold you back. And, um, you know, I, I just want everyone to understand that the resistance comes up for everybody. (laughs) You're always going to come up against that. Like it's, you know, they're saying it's as real as gravity. So if you know that it's coming, then maybe we won't be so fearful of it. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been taught that in therapy is helping people to understand, to get alongside the resistance, to not hit it head on, because if you hit it head on, it's like a brick wall. The wall's not going to move. But if you learn how to understand the resistance and know that it's going to be part of the journey, you'll be able to make it through. I love that. That's so good. So other than the book, what's next for you? Speaking. I am just going to get out there and speak until my heart is content. (laughs) That has been the big thing because I too had jumped in the coaching space. It didn't feel like it fit for me as well as it had with other therapists. I saw it as a um, easy pivot. For me, it wasn't that easy pivot. And I believe that it's because God is pushing me to do something much greater than just be behind the chair and helping that one-to-one individual that if I can get out and get my voice heard by the masses, there's so much healing that can come from that. Yes. I believe that you're very, very good. I love this. And I love, I love your realness. I think that people are definitely going to be drawn to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So where can everybody connect with you? So you can find me everywhere, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Dr. D.R.M. Scoggins. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S. So I do have a YouTube channel that I'm revamping and getting going and doing more of this talk style um, videos versus mental health educational videos. Just getting a different perspective on mental health, I think is super important. And that's what I'm getting out to do. I also have my own website, which is just drscoggins.com. And you can find me there if you're looking for me to come speak in an engagement that you have or know someone who would like me to speak. Definitely find me there. My speakers page will be up shortly. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to connecting with as many people as I can, getting on as many stages as I can and seeing where this thing takes me. Very good. And we'll put all the links in the show notes so everybody can easily access it for you. Absolutely. Was there anything else that you wanted to share today? You know, I think we covered so much. Um, No, it was just very seamless, inviting 
interview that I know that so many women are going to get value out of this conversation. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Very good. Well, it was very nice to meet you and I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. I hope you are inspired to take action today. I want you to have the best year possible in 2023. So I made a dream year workbook, which is free for you. All you need to do is go to my website and grab your copy. And part of it is the Ikigai exercise. So I think you'll really like it. Also, if you want to apply to be a part of the Money Mindset Mastermind, this group of emerging mompreneurs is going to shift their money mindset and overcome the not enoughness to exponentially increase their confidence and income in just eight weeks. I'm so excited to watch these transformations happen. Applications are open now. See you all next week.